Welcome to The Purpose Effect, a podcast about the impact we create when we build lives and businesses of purpose. I'm Elena Kersey, and I'm on a mission to learn how we can build better, better work, stronger communities, a healthier planet. If you believe there's a better world out there waiting for us, then this podcast is for you. We shouldn't really be afraid of pain because pain can be the portal to transformation. And it generally is, right? I mean, it's nature's way that shows us as well when a baby is being born. It's a very painful process for the mother and the baby to be squeezed out of the birth canal. But that is transformation or for the caterpillar to turn into the butterfly is a very painful process to the beauty on the other side. Most of the conversations I have on this podcast are about some of the bigger picture impacts we create, whether those are impacts on the planet or impacts for underrepresented or underbanked communities. But I think I often forget that the most powerful and disrupting impacts we can make are the ones we make in our own homes. Today's conversation with Dr. Tanushka Malwani is about conscious parenting, and it left me feeling both safe. Tanushka is the kind of woman that you can have a conversation with almost anything about without judgment, but it also made me feel slightly unsettled. It forced me to question a lot of the deep-seated beliefs that I had about things like, what is good? What is success? What is normal? And in applying these labels or standards to myself, Am I unconsciously saddling these onto my kids? It made me realize that parenting actually has very little to do with the child in front of you and everything to do with the parent. And the sooner we realize this, the sooner we can learn not only how to navigate the world more consciously ourselves, but also how to help our children do this better. Because are there really any relationships that are more impactful than the relationship we have with ourselves? and the relationships that we have with our children. Dr. Tanushka and I talk about her learnings from Dr. Shafali's Seven Myths of Parenting and what happens when we start to question these myths. We talk about the moment her own beliefs about parenting and what a successful, happy child was brought her and her family tumbling down. And we talk about the impact on her relationship with her children when together they went on a journey to really question all of this. But to kick things off, we talk about the moment when Tanushka was asked to come into school to talk about her son and the letter she received from the school about him. I refer to that as the defining moment, you know, that moment when things started to unfurl and reveal themselves to me and started my journey. And upon receiving that letter, I felt like a failure, you know, with a capital F. It was like me getting an F grade. The, the meeting was in school. Mm-hmm. So I had gone up to the, the teacher's room who had asked me to come in. It's funny because this letter was not supposed to be seen by me. The letter was written for the particular testing company. And uh, because I wanted to work closely with them as a parent, I just asked to have a look at the letter. And so she invited me to have a look at it. So, you know, I was really taken aback at the level of unconscious words that were being used by professionals. 
And then very quickly, it was all a blur because all I could see were my tears streaming down my face that I couldn't even read. And it's so funny that I feel like the next two days were a blur. I was in a fog because I think I was totally personalizing the F grade. The the funny part is that it had everything to do with my kid. And yet I felt like the F grade was for me. Like it was a rock bottom of sorts. But then the epiphany that when you're at rock bottom, the only way is up. So so I look at that moment as a defining moment. And it's after those two days, it's as if the universe started aligning and started putting resources and people who actually, you know, held my hand, uh, you know, and got me to, to get into the motions of what really had to be done next, such as testing, diagnosing. Yeah. We had to to kind of see the verity of that letter. He was only nine years old then. How bad could it be, right? And then did you have any support through this process? What were the next steps? I, I don't think it's any coincidence, but the lady who came over for the testing company. And I didn't even know whether I should show her the letter because I was like, oh my God, if she sees this letter, she's going to write him off. And wow, you know what she did? She took the letter and she tore it up. And she said that this does not make sense. It's a completely one-sided letter. It's biased to the core. And she was the one who actually held my hand proverbially and got me to write back to the school. Asking, asking them to, to completely delete that letter off their files and she would be- begin her investigations on a clean slate. She didn't need that referral letter or the background. She said, I will figure it out for myself using my professional capabilities. With her and her partner, I was just taken down this journey of actual consciousness because there were two conscious women mm-hmm. who've tested hundreds of kids And, uh, you know, they explained to me as a parent, like we all get scared, right? When we have to face a actual diagnosis, it's like a sentence Mm -hmm. almost when it comes to our children. And they were the ones, in fact, who explained to me that, you know, it's not the end. It's actually the beginning and it doesn't make you that person, right? So, for example, if I was to use the very freely strewn diagnosis of ADHD, They explained to me that it's simple English, right? When we say that my child is ADHD, they ask me to correct my vocabulary and they say my child has ADHD. You don't become that. Similarly, when you have a cold, you are not the cold, you have a cold. So, you know, just that simple distinction allows you to take out the stink from any diagnosis. Of course, it turns out that he had None of the things that were in the letter, but a lot of other things were discovered along the way that no one uh, ever found out until it came to light. So in a way, that moment, while it was my undoing in many ways, it also put me on this path of no return. I do what I do today because of that defining moment. When you say you do what you do today because of that defining moment, was is it because you don't want other parents or other children to be burdened by labels? Or is it because you you wanted something to change for yourself and within your own family? 
So initially, of course, it was just my family. My focus was just my situation. I don't think I had the bandwidth to think about anyone beyond myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that also showed me later that when we are in survival mode, your capacity to think for anyone else diminishes seriously, right? Yeah. It's really about getting yourself out of danger. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that the kids are constantly in survival mode because they are primarily governed by their primitive brains. They don't have a cognitive intellectual brain fully developed until the age of 25. So so when they make decisions that look very uh, unsound to adults, I realized that it's just a function of their incapability biologically to do so. And for us adults to label them for that is 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 hugely you know unacceptable because our kids not only do they not have the vocabulary they don't have the ability to defend themselves so it's very one sided the teacher knows best the parent knows best and that's it you can seal the fate of someone who can't even defend themselves i mean when you put it that way it seems so grossly unfair that these kinds of labels are put on children without much of their own agency in this when did you learn what conscious parenting was so soon after this i i went on a search like a seeker looking for a better way because i just felt like i was you know doing the same thing i was begging pleading shaming guilting hitting yelling slapping begging pleading again and the results weren't really changing in fact they were just morphing into something different right mm-hmm. so i decided to look for a better way and i believe when the student is ready the teacher shows up and i was guided to dr shafali and after devouring some of her work i uh, requested her for a private session and the epiphany out of that session in just 60 minutes was that it was me it wasn't the kid and it's because i wasn't listening the kid just had to act it out and he got louder and louder in ways that he possibly could and because of the gross unconsciousness of the adults around him she said how many more kids are going to suffer you know with labels and judgments at the hands of these kind of adults and even so i was not convinced so i told her no but you have to meet my son and you know i painted this picture that was almost the replication of of so many labels that i had heard my his whole you know 9 years and she was like okay okay i'll i'll you know take that into consideration i will call him call him on a zoom session and the next thing is when he's on her zoom scene she was shocked because what appeared was not this rebellious teenager it was a really baby-faced boy with downcast eyes and when she asked him so do you know why you're here he's like yeah i know why i'm here i'm here because my mom thinks i don't do anything right i don't do my homework i don't play sport i don't get anything right i drop things i'm clumsy and i'm a bad boy and that was when she explained to me that that these are the labels that the kid is internalizing and when he doesn't get seen and he doesn't get heard and his emotional needs are unmet 
he's acting them out so desperately seeking for your or any adults to validate and to to give him worth Ugh, i mean my heart is just breaking for this little boy who thinks he's a bad boy and he probably doesn't even understand why the adults are saying that he's bad that was a label that as you say was put on him so how did things start getting better how did you change the way you communicated was that when you started working with dr shafali yes so i finally decided to enroll in her university that allows me to certify to become a coach and once again because i was seeing the little magic happen along the way because as i went on changing and shifting and communicating to be heard my kid was communicating right back mm-hmm. and it was a beautiful dance so to speak right every step i took back the kid came in the front and if i took a st- step forward he took a step back so it was really really beautiful to see us connect all over again and when i saw the behaviors completely stop i was like okay i need to explore more yeah and then i decided to uh, enroll in her course once again because it would benefit me and my family but once i was done i was like uh, this is too good not to share i can see the the dysfunction all around yeah. and parents are constantly feeling like they are alone because yeah. i felt so alone and i felt alone and i felt like the only bad parent in the world and then when i read what you wrote about uh is it the industrial parenting complex that was when i realized well this is why i'm feeling alone and why i feel like i'm being set up to fail <laughs> yeah it's the parent industrial complex so the pic parenting industrial complex and it is so capitalist in nature because it's made up of this group of people that gun for the parents right and the biggest product here that we're talking about is the kid the kid is no longer treated like a human being and the kid is now become the product so this product is for possession from the parent and then it's also available to be prolifically displayed and that's what i refer to as the bragging rights of a parent so when we put our kids out there or every medal and trophy that they win it's ours and we tell them that they have to be somebody to be of any kind of worth so we begin to attach these labels to them and then they grow grow up believing that until and unless they're attached to something that highlights their worth such as a zip code or a title or the type of car that they drive or the type of clothes that they wear they do not feel like they are whole without all of that so this complex actually feeds into the parental fear and anxiety and we dump it onto our kids driving them to anxiety and disconnection with us yeah and it's so damaging because parenting has become not about the child at all it's basically a sport or a box we have to tick like like the fast car or the house or the right postcode we've got the perfect child as well and the long term effects of that obviously are so damaging on all of us so what are these seven myths of parenting is this this is dr shafali's work right absolutely so you hit it right on the head right this whole idea of whether parenting is about the child because we've been raised to believe that it's the child you become a parent because you birth a child but it's also a belief system 
yes, it is Dr. Shifali's terminology. She's broken it down into these seven myths and for parents to internalize that it's an unrealistic pursuit. So parenting is about the child is the first myth. The second one is a successful child is ahead of the curve. Then we move on to there are good children and then there are bad children. We have number four at good parents are natural. So that's something that is so insidious to us that we believe that the moment we birth our children, it's automatic. We should be good parents. Mm -hmm. Then a good parent should be a loving one. That too is a myth. Parenting is about raising a happy child. And the last one, parents need to be in control. I know that one can be hugely triggering to a lot of people mm -hmm. because I do get that a lot. What do you mean? Should the child be in control? But it's not what we are saying. Yeah. But it's it's also does not mean that the parent is in control or needs to be in control. Control is the problem. Hmm. I'm starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable because some of those myths I can recognize as myths, like the fact that parenting is natural. But some I also still buy into, you know, for example, that parenting is about raising a happy child. That's a good thing, right? Happy children. But then what's happy? Whose definition of happy? So, so let's get into conscious parenting now and let's unpack some of this. What is conscious parenting and how is it different? So conscious parenting, if I was to just describe it in a few sentences, it's a game-changing methodology that spins traditional parenting onto its head and whereby it shifts the focus from the child and spotlights it onto the parent. It is the parent who needs to re-raise themselves or re-parent themselves or really grow themselves up mm -hmm. before they can actually even think of parenting the kid in front of them. because. Most times of any kind of interaction between parent and child is two kids in the room. There is no adult in the room. So this methodology is non-hierarchical, non-punitive, non-controlling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it even says that your kids could be your teachers and awakeners, so to speak. And that's because they are inherently living in the present moment. Whereas we parents, we either live in the past or we live in the future. And that's when, you know, either we dial it down to past experience or catastrophe in the future. Very quickly, I find a lot of parents, you know, no homework submitted today equals to lying in a ditch on drugs unemployed very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So just to give you a short example, if the as is, is that the kid is getting a failing grade on his test. We don't go to the past and and assume anything from the past. Mm -hmm. Neither do you go to the future and assume that anything, but you deal with the current failing grade from a space of, okay, so this is the problem. And now what can we do to make this better? Yeah. What does the child need? You know, you start investigating how you can help the child you know, get where he needs to be or she needs to be without going down the pike of woe becomes me or, you know, I've sacrificed so much for you or to future you're going to be a loser because none of this is going to help that grade in the moment. The only thing that your child learns at that moment is shame and resentfulness, yeah. equaling disconnection. Right. 
So then if our children are our greatest teachers, and if the way we parent is basically a method of holding up a mirror to ourselves, what have you learned about yourself from this experience? What kind of inner work are you doing? So as I've begun to grow myself up, I meditate daily and I journal a lot. And it does bring up my past wounds because I journal on a almost daily basis. And then there will always be things in your current present that bring up the past, be it with your children, be it with your other relationships. So for us to detach, we have to understand, and that's the work as well that Dr. Shefali does, is it's an integration of Western psychology and Eastern mysticism, okay. where you don't attach yourself to the other, you are whole or unwhole 100%. You, you don't you don't go 50-50 with anything. You are 100% co-creator of your environment and the other is 100% co-creator of their choices. So when you take accountability for yourself without attaching to the other and you you start realizing that your kid, even though they come through you, as Khalil Gibran famously said, mm -hmm. they don't belong to you and they are a sovereign spirit pulsing with an essence of their own. It's us who projects onto them our unmet needs. How do you operate then within the parental industrial complex? Because that still exists. It's in the schools. It's in the after-school activities. It's in your kids' relationships with other children and other children's parents. How do you operate your system within a wider system that doesn't want to do things your way? To me, one is a million. So I, you know, while yes, when you think of it that way, you you would almost say it's too hard a mountain to climb or, you know, it's not going to work. But as you realize that even one person can impact a million lives beyond, right? You realize that you just have to keep going. Life has a way of bringing people to this because when you hit rock bottom, you are forced to confront and question everything around you. When you're at rock bottom, your ego has cracked open. You're, you're naked. So sadly, we humans learn from pain. We learn when it's painful. Mm, yes. Let's put a big highlighter under that. We learn when it's painful. Because yes, with, with anything in your life, when you're doing something new, when you're making a big change, it is painful. And, and my response is always to step away from that pain and try to make it feel better that if it's painful, it means it's wrong or that I'm in the wrong place. But, but actually what you're saying is the more painful it is, then that's the sign that you're on the right path. Yes. So we, we shouldn't really be afraid of pain because pain can be the portal to transformation. And it generally is, right? I mean, it's nature's way that shows us as well when a baby is being born. It's a very painful pr process for the mother and the baby to be squeezed out of the birth canal. But that is transformation or for the caterpillar to turn into the butterfly is a very painful process to the beauty on the other side. Mm. In my life, I, I feel I've unwrapped many beautiful gifts that came wrapped in ugly wrapping paper. I think this is also related to perfectionism because this idea that transformation is ugly and uncomfortable and difficult is quite a challenging perspective for perfectionists. And I say this as a recovering perfectionist myself. 
we believe and we continue to be taught, and actually the parental industrial complex also teaches us this, that perfectionism is a good thing. You know, it's good to have perfect work assignments. It's good to get A's. It's good to do everything possible to get those things, to have every activity under your belt. It was only recently that I realized that perfectionism is actually a massive, massive handicap. Because for me, it, it manifests as procrastination and an inability to move forward and, and transform and grow. So we're teaching our children how to navigate life in a way that doesn't work in the real world. That's true, right, Elena? Like if you can procrastinate as an adult, you realize that perfectionism is also a coping mechanism for us who who are perfectionists and recovering people pleasers. I'd like to call myself as that. I'm, you know, working towards breaking free and being free. And if procrastination will stop you because you think that perfectionism is not a possibility, anything less than is not going to be accepted, your body goes into freeze mode. Procrastination is literally doing nothing, right? You're frozen to the spot. Perfectionism is something that it's a belief system. We haven't even stopped to question it. Yeah. Who said? So who said we need to get seven A's? And who said that we need to speak 11 languages before eight? So because we're just blindly, right? The yeah. neighbor's kid speaks 11 languages and then the school kid is playing football and skiing at the same time and doing drama and singing. And then you see one day your kid like lolling on the sofa, just scrolling. That's it. Loser, loser, loser all around you. And then you're catastrophizing. You're taking all that information in and dumping it outside, causing disconnection. We want to connect with the kid you have, not with yeah. the neighbor's kid. Yeah. And question these things that really, is perfectionism sustainable? Is it even anything to be proud of? I mean, are we happy with our perfectionism? If we were, we wouldn't be seekers today. We wouldn't be sitting on therapist couches we wouldn't be asking for what happened along the way. And that goes back to our the myth, right? Is parenting about the child or about you? Do you really think that parenting is a truly unselfish act when we use our children on a daily basis? Not quite. We have to own that it's a very highly transactional relationship. Oh, that I think... The hair on the back of my neck stood up when you said parenting is a transactional relationship because I get it. It, it is. And I've seen myself do it. It's also hugely transformational. I don't think that anything, nothing prepared me for becoming a parent. Um, as much as I read the books and, you know, knew what to expect at which month, nothing prepared me for parenthood. And nothing challenges me more every minute of every day. I think if you want to really learn about all of your crap, become a parent because that is the quickest way to hold a mirror up to yourself and make you confront everything. Thank you. So you basically summarized that the kid is your guru, right? They come to teach you to grow up. So now that you're sitting on this side of the fence, you've gone through all of the pain and the hard work and, and you've reparented yourself, 
How has conscious parenting impacted your children and your family life? So it's been wonderful because as I have been showing up and modeling to them in different ways, either through my vocabulary or through my uh, nonverbal communication, Mm -hmm. they are learning ways to communicate. And they're also learning ways in which they won't get heard. Mm -hmm. So it's been amazing because I'm able to model it. Yeah. And not model it. And many times they call me out on it as well. So I get to learn in the moment as well. So it's it's wonderful that it's impacted us as a family because it's definitely more connected. I've never been as connected as I feel now to my kids, even though they are now in the teenage years, uh, the years that are generally dreaded. I mean, for parents with younger kids who think that they're uh, you know, terrible twos are bad. Oh, just wait. <laughs> this is on steroids. So, yeah. you know, if you're starting out young, you have, it's a good time to start being a conscious parent or, you know, thinking about it in the way you parent. But as you get closer to the tween age and the teenage years, you, you're basically losing time. Yeah. And you can be completely disconnected from them and lose them, so to speak. So, it's it's been just wonderful that I'm so connected to them. They actually want to speak with me. They want to share stuff with me. We want to spend time together, you know, from a quality perspective, not really quantity. And the best thing is that I have stopped personalizing everything. And that frees me and it frees them. So if they don't do well on a test, it's got nothing to do with me. But then if they shine on the in the swimming pool or in the violin contest, it's also got nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And this allows my kids to become self-motivated, self-directed. They have agency. They ask for what they need mm-hmm. in an appropriate way because we just mentioned along the way that the previous behaviors are basically kids asking for what they need in inappropriate ways. Yeah. So I think my kids are moving back to wholeness in the sense that they are able to express themselves more authentically. Yeah. So if they're angry, they're allowed to be angry. There is no shame around anger. Or if they are sad, they're allowed to be sad. Yeah. If they want to cry, they can cry without me needing to fix it, without me needing to shove a bowl of ice cream down their throat and giving them a wrong message. Mm-hmm. So I, in that sense, I believe that they are definitely more whole. And then when they go out into the outer world, they do not think of themselves as lesser than in any way. They, they, they're okay to speak their truth. And that's an amazing trait to me because in a world of peer pressure, to be able to hold your own to a large extent to me is success. Yeah, I mean, to be comfortable in yourself and in your skin is something that I wish I could say I was at 37, let alone 17. But I'm amazed at the superpowers they have, right? I think like my daughter is a great listener. And I used to fret and tell everybody I knew that my daughter is too shy. And now I realize the tyranny of too, too shy, too unsporty, too this, too that. But being shy, if I convert it to be quiet and to be a listener in today's world that already speaks too much yeah, is an actual huge uh, benefit and it's a lovely trait to have. It also speaks to the fact that 
the importance rather of soft skills as opposed to the hard skills that we're all taught to value, you know, whether that's musical achievement or sporting achievement. They're still young and life is long and it is not linear. And if there is one thing that we can be teaching our kids as they go through, you know, their formal education process, maybe it's the importance of things like listening and empathy and standing up to peer pressure and being able to advocate for yourself rather than how to get A's on a math test or an English exam in a world that might be very, very different in 10 years time, 15 years time. Yeah, absolutely. So we should be chasing the right things really, you know, and it's all around being wholesome once again. Mm -hmm. And our teenagers are completely broken because the system is broken. Yeah. And we parents are broken. So we dump all that brokenness onto them. Mm -hmm. And then we label them as broken. Yeah. They're not broken. It's yeah. us who's broken. We need to repair, heal, fix. So it's very important to keep changing the lens with which you're projecting onto them and to people around you. Yeah, exactly. What is the worst advice that you have ever been given? Oh, well, I think it's something like uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up receiving that. So, you know, when I didn't do it, I would get it like, you're just spoiling them. You're just spoiling them. Two slaps and they should be okay. And the best advice? It's not personal. Yeah. That it's not personal and it's just an unmet emotional need. Mm -hmm. And a person's behavior speaks more about themselves than it ever does about you. Yeah. So it's a hard pill to, uh, to swallow, but because we tend to personalize very quickly, but I have to keep reminding myself that I should have compassion and empathy and yet be able to hold my space. Yeah. And what makes you feel on purpose? This is my favorite question because yeah. the range of answers that I get is extraordinary. And I also think it gives a lot of insight into how each and every one of us can create more impact. Yes. So for me, as I've said, that this work has been so gratifying to me just mm -hmm. by making shifts in my own, uh, you know, environment. I say that uh, that it's it's even these small changes that much like the butterfly effect yeah. that you know a mere flapping of a butterfly's wings can cause a hurricane halfway around the world. And just by us shifting even a little bit, you can cause a huge impact in your children's life, in your other relationships, and then how they interact with the outer world. Even one is a million. And that's why I feel that this work is so purposeful because it's generationally impactful. It's one can cascade and have a ripple effect, keeping that end goal in mind. Uh, you know, keeps me on purpose. I love that. I think this idea that we can unwind some of the the parenting that we've received, we can unwind that and we can perhaps create a future generation of parents who are much more accepting of the fact that parenting is not personal. It doesn't reflect anything on us. And we don't create children. Children just exist and become. 
yes, they they come through us and pretty much our kids will learn that until and unless there is a collective consciousness, they may choose not to even have children. Mm. Because when kids see us behaving the way we do sometimes, you can see visible shutdown in them as well. And many times my kids have told me, I don't think I want to have kids. It's too much work. Look at you. So they see themselves in you and they're like, oh my God, if I become like that, I don't want it. Sensible decision. But <laughs> yeah, so for me, it's it's that's what keeps me on purpose and, and it all fits in to, to be very, very purposeful work. Yeah. And what's next for you then? What's next for me? Who knows, right? A series of podcasts with Elena on yes. purpose. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, I have a couple of collaborations coming in with, uh, you know, some institutes that want to do work with the teenagers mm -hmm. to get them into, you know, good uh, placements in college. But at the same time, what we spoke about is have a part to the soft skills development because we are very skewed to the academic, the how do we get the A's. Yeah. But we forget about, you know, how, what it means to communicate in the real world because, yeah, you can get your A's, but there's no point if you can't communicate with the next person or you're not, you know, whole and complete as a teenager or you don't have a general knowledge and ability to, you know, discuss global matters that are not a subject. So, uh, I've just been asked to actually partner with one such, uh, you know, platform because they want the training to be imparted to the parents first because mm -hmm. it's the parents who just go and say, get me the kid into the Ivy League. Yeah. And it's very hard to explain that the parent first needs to back off. The kid mm -hmm. will get in where they need to get in. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has taught me a lot about myself, actually just in some of the language I've used as we were talking about parenting. And I'm definitely going to think harder before I approach any kind of issue with my children, which could be a value judgment. You know, what is good? What is success? What is naughty yeah. even? Yeah. yeah. So those are the things that we have to deconstruct our belief systems around. And I have this little exercise that I can give as a tip uh, you know, when you can in your journal, if you can just write out what your belief systems around all these institutions are from your mom, from your dad, from your partner, and then for yourself. So like in four columns. Mm -hmm. So what your parents say, for example, around beauty, what your mom, you know, said about beauty or told you about what your dad thought, what your partner thinks and what you think. And you'll be surprised to see the amalgamation of all of that is your standard of beauty. Mm -hmm. And if that's in your head, it's going to cascade onto your kids. Yeah, and potentially onto their kids, unless we can intervene in some way through conscious parenting. Thank you so much, Tanushka. Since you and I have been having these conversations, I've thought a lot more about the way I personalize things and how what makes me feel uncomfortable is actually far more about myself than it is about the situation or my kids or, or anything else. Uh, if you want to learn more about Dr. Tanushka's work, there is a link to her website in the show notes, and there are lots of ways to work with her there. I also highly recommend signing up to Dr. Tanushka's newsletter. And if you can't find one of Dr. Tanushka's workshops to attend, then get your own group together and arrange your own workshop with her. 
This is available for groups of friends, groups within schools, or within your organization. So if this conversation has made you want to dive a bit deeper, then please get in touch. All of the links and details on how to connect will be in the show notes. Thank you again, Tanushka, for your time and for your lessons. Very welcome, and thank you for having me. My three takeaways from this conversation with Dr. Tanushka Melwani are, firstly, parenting is a belief system, so feel free to challenge anything which is conventional wisdom. Secondly, your children's behavior, talents, or shortcomings are not personal. They don't reflect on you, and this actually applies to the behavior, talents, or shortcomings of almost anyone else in the world who is not you. And thirdly, and most importantly, transformation and growth is painful and sometimes ugly. And this is by design. The most beautiful transformations in nature are painful. And if you're feeling discomfort or even pain, it could be a sign that you're moving in the right direction. I would love to hear about the moments that were most painful or most transformational for you. So send me an email about them or DM me on Instagram and I will publish some of these stories in my upcoming episodes because if they were useful for you, chances are they're very useful for somebody else too. Keep making impact and you'll hear from me again next week. Bye.